0: And welcome to another episode of best of the left podcast today. We have clips from Greg Palast Rachel Maddow Sam Cedar and the young Turks
1: Uh, we're joined now by Bill Buesenberg, who's the executive director of the Center for Public Integrity. Uh, he's joining us live tonight to talk about Center for Public Integrity's new website and project, which is called the War Card. Uh, it documents and organizes into a searchable, simple online database. Hundreds of false statements made by the president, the vice president, uh, Condoleezza Rice, Donald Rumsfeld, Colin Powell, uh, Paul Wolfowitz, Ari Fleischer, Scott McClellan. Uh, in the years following 9-11, it documents hundreds of false statements about Iraq, Iraq's links to terrorism and Iraq's alleged weapons of mass destruction. Um, these statements, of course, were the uh, were the bricks that paved the road to uh, to, to our invasion of Iraq in 2003. Center for Public Integrity is a nonprofit organization that's dedicated to producing investigative journalism on issues of public concern. Uh, Bill Busenberg, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Happy to do so. Good evening.
1: Uh, first of all, I want to say congratulations on the, um, the splash with which this report and this project uh, have been introduced. You guys have received a ton of coverage today. Um, I think r- rather substantive coverage. You've got to be. You've got to be happy with uh, with the way this is being received.
2: Yeah, there's been a, a tremendous response. It's hit the blogosphere clearly, but it was in the Times this morning and uh, Yahoo number one, and it's in the Post on a blog tonight. And there's a lot of a lot of coverage, a lot of attention, and I think it provides a important service for people that has not existed up to now.
1: Do you um, expect kind of political retaliation from the administration or from supporters of the administration for having uh, for having done this?
2: I'm not sure what you mean by that exactly. There's some criticism, of course, but it's very interesting to me that nobody I mean, we've gotten phone calls and emails and, you know, the usual sorts of things. But this is this is the public record. I mean, these statements were all made by these eight top administration officials no one disputes that they made these statements what we did is just you know list every single one of them there's 935 false statements who said it and when they said it and made that public and i think you know that's uh, that's on the record it's just no one's pulled it together this way and no one then if you haven't pulled it together this way you don't see the spikes in these statements and when they occurred which then allows you to see the orchestration that was really behind it
1: when you say orchestration what do you mean
2: well, let's take the first big spike occurred in 2002. This means many more statements were made, and it goes up just at the time of the uh, Congress considering the Iraq War resolution and the midterm elections. That's a big spike. Mm-hmm. And then you see the next big spike, which is about twice as big, occurred just about the time Secretary. Is addressing the UN Security Council and before the war starts, and it was when a draft resolution was introduced at the UN. So you see that this was not an accident when you make these statements, and we only focused on two really clear statements the ones that you mentioned that, you know, Iraq has weapons of mass destruction, which they did not, and that they are linked to Al Qaeda, which they were not. So we focused on those two direct statements, and then tracked when they were made and who made them. And you see the spikes are are timed to come out with uh, other events.
1: It's, you know, it's fascinating because as you say, this stuff is in the public record. None of this is breaking news except in the way that it's organized. You can see it quantitatively organized in the way that you're talking about these spikes in terms of the quantitative number of lies being told on any one day in any one news cycle. And that helps you see that those, uh, that the, that the big pile up of lies occurs around specific political objectives. But there's also something that's kind of I don't know, epistemologically powerful about being able to grapple with this stuff so easily by putting it in the database if you if if people are just in conversation or if they're doing research or if they're reporting on anything going on about the war if in the back of your mind you have some sense didn't they say something about aluminum tubes wasn't that part of it you can literally access every time they used the word tubes in a lie um at the touch of a at, at the at the touch of a database uh at the touch of a button and that i think um That, I think, was a a real insight on your part, to recognize that that was going to be helpful to people, uh, to put it in this
3: searchable form.
2: We 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 allow these Boolean searches so you can go in and do the words you want. You can do mobile labs and see exactly when they talked about mobile labs. But what we also did in this database, there are 25 different government reports and intelligence committee reports and books that have been written since the war began. We have combed through those books and taken out excerpts that report on what is being said so you can see the time frame what was known behind the scenes from inside the administration at the same time they're saying these things outside for example i did the, the the search just recently on mobile labs you can see the president saying well this proves they have weapons of mass destruction and you can see that weeks before he says that there is a report it goes to the cia it says these mobile labs are not connected with weapons of mass destruction they are connected to making Helium for weather balloons. So you see that the government itself is knowing what these labs are. At the same time in public, they're saying something else about them.
1: It's essentially, this is like a, a fog clearing device. <laughs> because, because it's, it's retroactive. It's the chronological fog through which we're all fighting these things out. But it's also the fog of the record and there being so much information that is available, but being able to tie these things together to connect what was known with what was said in a direct way by keyword searches. It's, um, it's, 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 it's really damning. It's almost like you, anybody, Anybody by searching on keywords using Boolean searchers, anybody can do the work that uh, that a great attorney could do in terms of combing through the evidence, organizing it into a narrative that then presents a damning picture um, of the of the crime that was committed. It, it allows us all to to make these things much more clear than they might be just looking back on it uh, in terms of our own memory and and, and the the massive record that
0: exists.
2: I think when we all lived through it, there was an impenetrable din of the of the administration, the press echoing that, the echo chamber that was Washington, members of Congress saying things. And it just, you know, you heard it all and you couldn't, I think, parse it out. And what this does is it pulls back and lets us look at that period, that really 18 months from nine eleven to when the war started, look at it very, very clearly and see what was said when and what was known when. And, you know no one in all the criticism we've gotten, no one has taken issue that this isn't exactly what was said and wasn't exactly the record. And that's the work that I want to give credit to Chuck Lewis and the Fund for Independence in Journalism, which started two and a half years ago, started collecting this information, and then together we've been putting it out and we've created the database and and made it possible for anybody to look at it at (laughs) publicintegrity.org.
4: Look, a couple of things happened today that made me loathe George Bush even more. Uh, Look, I'll tell you what it is. I'll be honest with you. Uh, George Bush is a a thug, and he's uh, criminally stupid. Okay, Uh, you're not supposed to say it. Okay, go, 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 go. go. All right, we're gonna get to the thug part a little bit later. God, that made me so angry. I don't want to ruin my good mood. Okay, we'll we get to that later. Let's get to the stupid part first. They asked him about. Hey, talking to dictators and people you don't agree with. And he has uh, words of wisdom. I mean, just brilliant, man. Now, before we play the clip for you, and this is partly in reference, obviously, to Barack Obama saying in the debates, um, hey, you know what? I would sit down with Raul Castro if we set the conditions for it and it made sense and there was something to gain out of it and we set the groundwork for it. Yes, I would sit down with Raul Castro. Uh now this country has become so radical, and so c- crazy that we just don't deal with anyone we disagree with. Yeah, we don't legitimize them. But just think that Reagan dealt with the Soviets, the evil empire, not only dealt with Iran but sold them weapons, right? Why doesn't anybody ever ask that follow-up question? Why won't you do what Ronald Reagan did? I'm not saying what Ronald Reagan did in every respect is great, but at least he claims Ronald Reagan is the God of all gods. Why don't you ask him the follow-up question? That's so obvious. Uh, anyway, let's go, let's go to this guy's brilliant answer. Listen to this. This is the uh, leader of the free world. This is our president. God help us all. Here you go. Uh, I'd like to ask you about another issue that's kind of come up on the campaign trail in terms of the discussion, which is this is a point of view that has been espoused. That uh, we would be better off. if We talked to our adversaries, in particular Iran and Cuba, you know, without preconditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and as president, you have obviously considered and rejected this approach. And I'm wondering if you can, uh, you know, give us a little bit of uh, insight into your thinking about this, and uh, just explain to the American people what is lost by, uh, you know, talking with those when we disagree.
5: What's lost with, by embracing a tyrant who puts his people in prison because of their political beliefs? What's lost is it'll send the wrong message. It'll send a discouraging message to those who wonder whether America will continue to work for the freedom of prisoners. It'll give great status to those who have, uh, who have suppressed human rights and human dignity. Uh, You know, I'm not suggesting there's never a time to talk, but I'm suggesting now is not the time not to talk with Raul Castro. He's nothing more than an extension of what his brother did, which was to ruin an island. Sitting down at the table, having your picture taken with a tyrant such as Raul Castro, for example, uh, lends the status of the office and the status of our country to him. He gains a lot from it by saying look at me i'm now recognized by the president of the united states the decisions of the u.s. president to have discussions with certain international figures can be extremely counterproductive it can send chilling signals and messages to our allies it can send confusion about our foreign policy it discourages reformers inside their own country And in my judgment, it would be a mistake on the two countries you talked about.
4: You idiot! The Castro's have been ruling Cuba for the last fifty years. What do you mean it would legitimize them? Uh, How much more legitimate can they be? Do I? Do they have to rule Cuba for seventy-five years, a hundred years? It grants them status. You know what grants them status? The fact that they have all the weapons in Cuba. They have the rifles and they have the government and they've had it for 50 years. Now look, if you're talking about a small group of rebels in the jungles of Southeast Asia or Europe or Africa or Latin America or something and you say hey, well I don't want to legitimize those guys there's like 13 of them and why would I, you know, bring them said, okay, I get it. There's bounds of reason. There's spectrum on everything. But if you have got a government that's been sitting there for 50, 100, 200, 2000 years, however long it's been sitting there and you say I don't want to grant them status. By meeting with me, because I'm so great, you know. Because you know, if they meet with me, then all of a sudden they're special. His small mind can't comprehend it. This is a stupid, stupid line that's been fed to him by Dick Cheney. He's bought it, part and parcel, the whole thing. You know, kitten caboodle or whatever they call that thing. He's hook, line, and sinker. Of course, you talk to your enemies. Who the hell else would you talk to? Okay. Oh, I. Talk to Canada. Great, congratulations. I mean, it's easy. Of course, it's easy to talk to Canada. The point is, you talk to Cuba and you talk to Iran to try to get beyond your problems. Could you imagine if Reagan didn't talk to the Soviet Union, or the Bush didn't, or Kennedy didn't, or Johnson didn't, or Nixon didn't? None of those guys did. Uh, all they did was sit around and talk to Canada. They'd be like, "Hey, yeah, oh." And Reagan's like, "I tell you, man, I negotiated great treaties with Canada. It's awesome." Ke- and Kennedy's like oh you won't believe the terms I've come to with Sweden. By the way, Richard Nixon went to China. Remember? And that was a great thing how Nixon went to China. But this man is doesn't have the intellectual capacity to understand that sometimes that's what ha- you need breakthroughs by talking to your enemies. By the way, you also talked to North Korea and they have the craziest dictator of all. And you made a great deal there. So what's the difference between North Korea, Iran, and Cuba? Maybe if you talk to Iran and Cuba, you'd make a great deal there too. He's a knucklehead, man. We can't have a guy like this as our leader. We can't it and it's now become normalized and the idiot Washington press corps takes it as if it's a normal thing, like, oh, okay, well no, yeah, talking to leaders, that's terrible. And they quite get they're not like outraged by what Bush says. They're now outraged by what Obama says. When Obama says, "Of course, we're going to talk to leaders, foreign leaders," what you think if we don't talk to Raúl Castro, he just automatically disappears? Oof. He's no longer the leader of Cuba. You don't want to legitimize that. And what was the first pronunciation of Raúl there? You notice the second one he got right. The first one he's like, "And hey, a tyrant like Raúl Castro." Oh, and then he says, and then he says, uh. You know, you don't want to talk to people who've denied human rights and human dignity, and that would mean that people couldn't talk to you, right? Now I'm being dead serious about this. We're an international pariah now. We, to this day, the White House, Tony Fratto, the, one of the spokespeople, of the White House said it very, very recently. To this day, the White House says that the CIA, CIA is allowed to waterboard people waterboarding started at the Spanish Inquisition waterboarding we've convicted and executed people for waterboarding our soldiers okay almost every country in the world agrees that waterboarding is torture george bush says i can authorize waterboarding to this day and he just comes out and says yeah yeah i can authorize torture then i guess they shouldn't talk to you cuz talking to you an abuser of human rights and human dignity would grant you status they should one of these leaders and not like Hugo Chavez and people who were clearly against Bush to begin with but somebody with some degree of integrity i don't know the leader of switzerland the leader of finland someone should say i can't meet with someone who's a torturer i can't do it it would grant him status it would legitimize him when the world community should shun him for the thug that he is got The pictures, new pictures today from Abu Ghraib. Now, look, 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 before we put them on, I want to be very clear these are not safe for work, okay, and they're not safe for kids. And I'm, not, I'm not playing about it, okay, so be careful here. I'm gonna give you a couple seconds here to adjust, all right. Now, look at what George Bush authorized, and you're talking to me about people who deny human rights and human dignity. We have the memos that go directly. From Don Rumsfeld all the way down to these guys at Abu Ghraib, new photos out. Go ahead. I mean, look. Just stay on this one for a second. I look at this. How does it not make you sick to your stomach? How does it not revolt you? Our president authorized this. He authorized this. He's a thug. Thank God we live in America. If this guy had taken over a country that had. Less rice than we did, and that, were, that was more dictatorial. Oh, he'd have run rough shot over the citizenry. Don Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney are two of the worst people that have ever been in the United States government. They knew this was going to happen, and they did it on purpose. And Bush is an idiot who's like, yeah, 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 do whatever you got to do. We got to get the information. Well, this is what they had to do, and it didn't work. It didn't work at all. But you kept on doing it and kept on doing it. Give me more. Look at this God I how dead is that guy is how long has he been there? and look at our soldiers they you think they came up with this on their own they didn't come up with this. Rumsfeld wrote the memo to Sanchez Sanchez and and uh, the guy that was down in Guant- the Guantanamo Bay and they promoted him up to uh, uh, Jeffrey Miller the, that they brought him to Abu Ghraib and he does this. They authorized this. Keep going. What is this clever getting him to pose in a Jesus pose when he's Muslim? Look, the whole point of these things is to humiliate them. And you think it worked humiliating them? No, it started a giant insurgency that got our troops killed. What is the point of this? What the pink sheets and the hanging upside down and nude? Is this going to get him to talk? 90% of these guys were innocent. Talk about what? What is the point of that? What really? Is that gonna work? What what you put the hood on the guy and you have him stand on a box? No. It's to terrorize him and to humiliate him and embarrass him. These are the pictures that are up in you know the walls of Al Qaeda fighters all across the world. New Al Qaeda fighters. What now a new book is calling the third wave. They look at this, why would you do this? And what are those burn marks on the guy's arms? What was the point of this? George Bush is a thug. He's a two-bit tyrant wannabe. We shouldn't legitimize him by talking to him. What drives me crazy is that look come on. Is that the Democrats have legitimized Bush as if what he does is normal. It isn't normal. And they should say they should have stopped put an end to this years and years and years ago. That's the guy that got convicted too. Jesus, man. Now they'll say, oh, no, 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 we stopped Abu Ghraib. Oh, congratulations to you. Okay. Uh, first of all, that's not even entirely true. Second of all, we did a Palestinian hanging, uh, let alone other things in uh, Bagram Air Base. Hundred people died in our detention centers. We still have Guantanamo Bay. We still have a president who says he's allowed to torture people. And the Democrats go on with their lives as if everything is normal. And the more we accept it, the more "quote unquote" normal it becomes. And the more Tim Ruster gets animated and asks Obama questions like, "Oh, wait a minute! Do you actually want to do diplomacy? No, we don't talk to anybody. We do. We're a seclusive nation like North Korea. No, no. If there are people we disagree with, we shun them. And then if we capture anybody else that it, it looks Arabic or vaguely." Looks like someone Bush might call an enemy. You took you not in favor of waterboarding well what, well what are you gonna do if there's a ticking time bomb? What if the whole country's gonna explode? What are you gonna do? You're not gonna waterboard him Obama? Oh Obama, you're radical. We can't allow this to continue to be seen as normal. It is not normal, it's hideous, it's un American
1: President Bush has decided to send Dick Cheney to the Middle East on a, quote, peace mission. Dick Cheney, peace mission. President Bush also decided to send raw oysters that had been sitting in the sun all day to a friend with the stomach flu. And he sent a gallon of gas to his neighbor's house when it was on fire. And... He sent a consolation hooker to the family of David Vitter when the senator was beset by scandal last year. So I wouldn't read too much into Dick Cheney's prospects as peace envoy to the East. Are you kidding me? Handily, though, uh, Cheney will be stopping into Saudi Arabia on his trip to the Middle East, presumably to pick up further instructions from his boss and to check to see if any messages have been left for him at his main office, which, of course, is located inside the air-conditioned comfort of King Abdullah's Pants. Oil, meanwhile, has shot up to $109 a barrel. Thanks, Abdullah! And AAA says gas will probably hit 4 bucks a gallon this summer. Pay no attention to the hundreds of thousands of American troops in the Middle East and your vice president decamping to Saudi Arabia and the fact that gas is going to hit 4 bucks a gallon by summer. These things are totally unrelated. Nothing to do with each other. Also, did I mention there's a hooker story in the news? Hookers. 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 How psyched is the president that the hooker's story ended up in the news today, blotting out all other news sun. So we get the hooker story today instead of the American president vetoed a ban on torture
0: news. And now a message from the president of the United States, George W. Bush.
1: My boyfriend on Saturday morning introduced, as he always does, introduced the president for his weekly radio address.
0: Freedom from fear.
5: No,
1: not that president. The current one. Quite a contrast, actually.
5: Al-Qaeda remains determined to attack America again.
4: Freedom from fear.
1: Sorry, I keep going back to the FDR thing. I just get stuck on it. Every time our current president stands up in front of the country and says, be afraid, America, be afraid.
5: Two years ago, Osama bin Laden warned the American people, quote, operations are under preparation and you will see them on your own ground once they are finished. Can we make a deal?
1: You can use Osama bin Laden for political purposes. You can remind us how scary Osama bin Laden is. You can talk about 9-11 for political purposes if and when you're actually making a credible case for going after Osama bin Laden.
5: I don't know where he is. nor You know, I just don't spend that much time on him. And, uh, you know, again, I don't know where he is. I, uh, I, I, I repeat what I said. I truly am not that concerned about him.
1: This Saturday morning radio address from our president was not about actually catching Osama bin Laden or hardening us up as a target or making the country uh, any um, more safe doing anything about the things by for, by which they are scaring us, as usual. It was about making sure, um, actually this time, that no Americans are prosecuted for torturing people. That's the grounds on which he did the be afraid, think of me when you think of death dance this Saturday. President Bush vetoed the ban on torture uh, that was passed by the U.S. Congress. John McCain, the Republican nominee for president, sided with President Bush on this veto. He also voted against... The torture ban, even though the media still gives him credit for being an anti torture guy, inexplicably. Uh, McCain sided with Bush in terms of Bush's anti torture ban veto, but you would not know it from the press coverage.
6: And one of the points we're trying to make here in our investigation in Iraq is that, like a lot of people, I thought, oh, we went into Iraq to get the oil. Well, no, no. In dealing with the insiders and the oil company guys, and getting the inside government plans, it wasn't about getting the oil. It was about taking control of the oil and shutting it down, shutting it off. These guys are not in the business of making oil cheap. The idea that we're going into Iraq for cheap oil is completely and utterly ludicrous. Yes, the neocons wanted that, but they're not not—they're in not charge. The oil companies are in charge. Uh, the real influence is OPEC and Saudi Arabia. So what's happened is is that... You know, we don't, Exxon doesn't send in its exploration company, the 101st Airborne, to find oil and bring it back and make it cheap to fill up your Hummer. We went in there to find the oil and shut off the spigot, which we've successfully done. Bill Clinton came into office with oil at 18 bucks a barrel. With 6 million barrels a day off the market, which is what Iraq could produce, oil went to 100 bucks a barrel. So he went from $18 a barrel. Who will now it's about 80-some dollars a barrel. 18 to 80, mission accomplished. That's what it was about. It wasn't about getting oil. It was about cutting off the supply.
3: So the original intent, when Paul Wolfowitz stood up and he said, this this war is going to be paid for with the oil reserves in, in Iraq, do you think he perjured himself, or did he really think that that's what they were going to do, go in and take control, sell it, and pay for the war?
6: I BBC had me investigate this. No one actually investigated. Everyone's looking at the issue of weapons of mass destruction, which is obvious con. But no one's asking the simple question, how much is this puppy really going to cost? Wolfowitz said the Iraqis will pay for it themselves. We can drop the bombs, and they'll pay us for the bombs, right? Um, no, no. He knew very well. And I know he knew well because I spoke to the experts within the government, within the Department of Energy and the international uh, and the... Um, the uh, Department of Energy's uh, uh, international specialists who were feeding the material to, to uh,
7: uh,
6: Wolfowitz, saying, that ain't going to happen. You're not going to bomb this infrastructure and put this place on fire and get more oil out of it. That ain't happening. And uh, he knew it. Now, did he perjure himself? No, I checked that out, too. He did not perjure himself. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> Ever since Elliot Abrams was convicted of perjury, uh, Reagan's boy during the Iran-Contra scandal... right. Um, these guys don't take, they don't swear an oath to tell the truth. So Wolfowitz never raised his hand to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, so help him God. If you don't swear to tell the truth, if you are not sworn under oath when you testify to Congress, you cannot commit perjury. You can lie, but it ain't perjury.
3: So it's not against the law to lie as long as you're, wow. That's about what... that,
6: and that's true in a court case that if you remember during the 9 /11 hearings and, and during the Iraq hearings, there's a huge controversy mm-hmm. over whether uh, Cheney and Bush and anyone in the administration uh, could be sworn why in the world wouldn't they agree to be sworn to tell the truth the answer is if they lied and got caught that's perjury but if you you know if you don't tell the truth and you're not sworn well shame on you that's about it
3: and and well i remember when when all of these big oil guys had to go and and be heard and uh, maria cantwell wanted from uh, washington state wanted to have them sworn in and ted stevens our own uncle ted from here uh... what does he do he he threw a fit he threw an absolute fit and said that they, they were honorable men and had no reason to swear in.
6: If they're honorable it, men, then why not swear to tell the truth?
7: Or Cindy's 100% right. People have simply had it with these Republicans. They don't want to listen to their lies anymore. Everybody knows what they're about. It's all money and big business. Ninety-eight percent of us don't even exist to them, okay? Now, let me tell you something. Back in the 60s, okay, when you had Kennedy and Johnson as president, I was about 20 years old. uh, We had everything. We had the presidency. We had both houses of Congress. And we started feeling sorry for Republicans. You know, like, hey, nobody pays them any attention. Everybody laughs at them. They're a voice in the wilderness. They don't count. If we make that same mistake again, 15 or 20 years from now, they'll come right back in power. They'll start doing the same thing all over again. The thing to do is to bury this party once and for all because they're like a wounded animal. You let them survive, they will come back and destroy you.
8: Well, I I agree with that, Ed. Now tell me this: Do you have a sense? Uh, my understanding is that Barack Obama did uh, some ads uh, for Bill Foster. Did you get a feeling that uh, Obama had any influence in this race?
7: I I believe he did, but I think it's it's like Cindy said: it's, it's just a total disgust with the Republican Party. Even even some of the just normal everyday Republicans have had it with these people. Every Republican's not a millionaire, you know. People can't live without jobs, they can't live without health insurance, uh, they don't want to see these soldiers being used like guinea pigs, especially from a party full of draft dodgers. It's total disgust with the Republican Party, Sam. All
8: right, well, I appreciate the call, Ed. Thanks. You know, the, uh, the, the best part of this story, folks, the, the absolute best part of this story, uh, comes in the fact that the National Republican Congressional Committee, want you to remember that those words, the National Republican Congressional Committee put $1 million into this race. Uh, now, that's not a lot of money for me. That's basically a couple of nights out on the town. Uh, at, you know, one of, my, one of the clubs I go to, uh, my, my sleepy little town that I live in, upstate New York. But for the National Republican Congressional Committee, that's a lot of money. That was almost 30% of the cash that they had on hand to support candidates. Now, Lauren's looking at me like, what? Are you serious? Yes, Lauren.
9: I just thought they had more money than that.
8: No, and you know why they don't, Lauren?
9: No, I hope you tell me.
8: I'm certainly going to. Um, (laughs) I read this story, I think it was Thursday night. I literally almost could not get through it without laughing, hysterically. Hundreds of... Now, you understand that this has been a horrible year for Republicans. Nobody wants to give them money because they're afraid that it's actually going to help them stay in office. And, and, and I don't think like, uh, um, you know, on a personal level that people hate Republicans. I'm sure people hate people who happen to be Republicans. But I think what, what people are really feeling is that we hate what Republicans have done to this country. And, uh, so they're having a tough time raising money. There's another reason why people don't want to give money to Republicans. Because Republicans don't know how to handle money. Hundreds of thousands of dollars are missing and presumed stolen from the chief fundraising arm of the House Republicans. This according to party officials who describe the findings in emergency internal audits. The financial records of the group, the National Republican Congressional Committee, may have also been falsified for several years.
9: <laughs> Where did those millions of dollars go from? I don't those. know. I have
8: a feeling somebody's sitting down at Tijuana right now drinking a margarita.
4: My team will glow like radiation with no time for patient or complication. Let's get it done right. My click and tight. Trapped in the never-ending gunfights, The niggas lose stripes and lose life Jail niggas sending kites to the street Over some beef that wasn't fully cooked Finish them off, well
7: done me Then said, twin tooth, slug to your head Travel all the way down to LA. And yo, with hell on earth Who's next, Are gonna be first The projects is front line And the enemy is one time I ain't gotta tell you It's right in front of your eye. And yo, what's hell on earth Who's next, Are gonna be first Uh, So, uh,
8: Christy, now what's this? I understand apparently there was no connection uh, between uh, Iraq and al-Qaeda. That's shocking to me.
9: Absolutely shocking. But this was actually a story that that started at the beginning of the week and then took a, a weird twist in the middle when the Pentagon tried to censor a report. And it got absolutely no press, I guess because there was no way to tie hookers to it. That's my new theory. From now on, if there's a big story, we just need to figure out How to get Larry King to have a hooker on to talk about it, and uh, then we'll be golden with the media coverage.
8: Yes, I guess that's true. I mean, and even even just the simple generic prostitute won't really work because um, uh, Washington's full of those.
9: Exactly, exactly. But yeah, the the Pentagon, um, you know, we've known that there's been no link between al-Qaeda and Saddam for years now. The 9-11 Commission report said that. The Senate Intel Committee report said that. But the, the Bush White House the whole time has said, but you don't know what we know. We've got the inside scoop. We can still say that, you know, you can't tell the difference between the two because you just don't know what we're talking about. We've got the inside story. And this week, um, the Pentagon finally came out with the inside story. They went through 600,000 documents that they basically found in Saddam's file cabinets and went through every single one and found out, ta-da, there is no link between Saddam and al-Qaeda, regardless of what the White House said before the war. And it was interesting because this is from the Pentagon. This wasn't an outside group so the story broke, I believe it was Monday, that this report was coming out on Tuesday. There was an executive summary up on the Pentagon website. And then Tuesday, this is when things got strange, the executive summary came down. The Pentagon canceled the press release about it, canceled the press briefing about it, announced it would no longer be putting the report up on the site as promised. But then they said, don't worry, this is not censorship, you can still get a copy of the report if you put it in a request in writing and we will put it on a CD and mail it to you through the U.S. Postal Service taking, you know, the, the normal six to, six to eight weeks to arrive instead of emailing it. So wow, that's uh, <laughs> uh
8: there you go. There's your sunshine. Well, uh so uh apparently Glenn the the uh the administration still is attempting to uh hide the truth from the American public about Iraq. Obviously, this is an attempt to um to help uh John McCain who has desired uh, or has basically uh promised 100 years of occupation of Iraq and more wars.
10: Right. But you know, at the end of the day, this war is probably now the single most unpopular war in all of American history, just in terms of how sustained the unpopularity is and how, how irrevocable it is. And what's really bizarre is you see this effort on the part of, you know, the media establishment, the political establishment to constantly claim that the war is getting more popular, that it's actually going to be a an asset to the Republicans. And, you know, what Americans have realized is it's one of the most absurd things in, in, in modern history that we invaded this country against almost the opposition of the entire world based on justifications that turn out to be completely false. Uh, and Americans know that, and they're never going to change their minds about it. And, and yet the establishment continues to propagate this fantasy that the war is now popular and that McCain's support for eternal occupation will somehow Help him. And I think stories like this don't really move public opinion, because people have already reached the conclusion that they were tricked into supporting this invasion based on false pretenses, and there's just no reason whatsoever for us to continue to be there.
9: Although, Glenn, you'll love this. The uh, Pentagon guy, actually, when he was talking about canceling the report and canceling access, actually said, we had no idea that there would be this many political ramifications to this report. So <laughs> I thought, wow, maybe they really just are that clueless. They were they were shocked, just shocked, that people still cared that the lies had been told to get us into the war in the first place.
8: Wow, that is, I mean, you know, it sounds like that may even be the case. I mean, it, what it sounds like to me is that they put this out there and somebody from the uh, political shop at the White House said, uh, take that down, we have an election to, um, if not win, at least uh, attempt to steal. Time is becoming... Just and gold All those times wasted
4: I would like to go back. Our old friend Christy Harvey uh, from the Center for American Progress put together this list, and she sent it to me, and I want to read it to you. Very simple. Quotes from uh, the Bush administration before the war. September 25, 2002, President Bush said, quote, You can't distinguish between al-Qaeda and Saddam. Can it be any clearer than that? Now, understand... The Pentagon did an exhaustive research of the Iraqi records, found no connection. So did the Senate Intelligence Committee earlier, and so did the 9-11 Commission, right? So when President Bush says that, and Rumsfeld and Powell and McCain all say the same things, they were lying to you. They didn't say, hey, there might be a connection, let's invade just in case. They said, we know that there is a connection. When in fact, they knew no such thing. There was no evidence to indicate that. They made it up. September 2002, Bush says you can't distinguish between Al Qaeda and Saddam. They did it on purpose. All right. September 27th, 2002, Secretary of Defense Don Rumsfeld. The link between Al Qaeda and Iraq is quote, accurate and not debatable. He has so much information, Rumsfeld does, that he says the link between Al Qaeda and Iraq is not even debatable. Don Rumsfeld is a goddamn liar. He's the same liar who said, Oh, I know where the weapons of mass destruction are. He said they're to the east, west, north, and south of Tikrit somewhat. You remember that quote? He said, I know where the weapons of mass destruction are, and the link between Al Qaeda and Iraq is so solid and accurate that it is not debatable. When he in full fact that he knew he had no idea if they had weapons of mass destruction or where they were, and he had no idea if there was a link between al-Qaeda and Iraq. Probably, in fact, he knew that there was no link. And then we're supposed to respect people like that? He has a long service of in the, for the, uh, of serving this country. No, he's a long service of being a liar and deceiving this country and and trying to undermine it in every way he possibly can for his own lust for power.
5: We know where they are. They're in the area around uh, Tikrit and Baghdad and and, uh, east, west, south, and north somewhat. Huh,
4: really? Every time I hear that quote, I want to get that Rumsfeld in here and ask him, well, then where the fuck were they? Liar, man. This guy makes me sick to my stomach. We're supposed to respect people like this? You bet. (laughs) Not even close. Here we go. In September 28, 2002, Secretary Rumsfeld said uh, that today the American intelligence had bulletproof evidence of links between al-Qaeda and the government of, pres- of President Saddam Hussein of Iraq. Bulletproof. <laughs> oh, looking that, that. Uh-huh. Don Russell with uh, Saddam Hussein in 1983. I wonder who sold him the chemical weapons wonder who that was. This guy's been running a scam on us for decades. Yes. This is Don Rumsfeld. Scamming, lying mother. Oh, she show that picture. Just, go ahead, put it up. Gee, I wonder Huh? These guys have been up to this for a, quite a while, haven't they? Since uh, President Ford put them together. May God rest his soul. Great President Ford, who was such a class act, and brought these two assholes together and... Send them like a like a plague to us for the rest of uh, uh, you know our lifetimes to screw with the U.S. government. All right. So
10: you ought to just back off.
4: <laughs> Come and get a piece, Don Rumsfeld. All right, November first, two thousand two. You think I'm done? I'm not close to done. November first, two thousand two. President Bush: "Quote. We know Iraq has got ties with Al Qaeda. We know it. We know it. We know it." We know it. President Bush, you knew no such thing. You lied about it. You lied us in a war. People say, Oh no, it was an honest mistake. Honest mistake as my ass. How stupid do you have to be? November fourteenth, two thousand two, Secretary Rumsfeld. There is no question but that these have been inter- but that there have been interactions between the Iraqi government, Iraqi officials, and al Qaeda operatives. They have occurred over a span of some eight or ten years to our knowledge. There are currently Al Qaeda in Iraq. I mean, the man got specific with his lies. Just made up bullshit out of the thin air. Oh, we know that there's been contacts between the Iraqi officials and the Al Qaeda guys, and it spans eight to ten years. Now we find out none of it was true. Not even close. Not within miles. Just pulled it right out of his ass, put it on the table, and the American media licked it all up. You think they won't do it again with Iran? You think 10 months isn't enough time? They don't have enough public support? Bush has told you a million times he doesn't give a flying fuck about public support. The man's at 19% approval rating. Do you think he cares about public support? The only man lower is Dick Cheney. You think they care about public support? They don't have enough public support to bomb Iran. Well, don't worry. Admiral Fallon's standing in the way.
8: Oh, oops. Um,
4: Admiral Fallon just resigned. Oh, well. I'm not done yet. January 26, 2003, the great Secretary of State, Colin Powell. What a sad, sad man. Quote, the more we wait, the more chance there is for this dictator with clear ties to terrorist groups, including al-Qaeda, to pass a weapon, share a technology, or use these weapons again. Well, clear evidence. A, he didn't have weapons. B, he had no ties to al-Qaeda. Colin Powell made it up, lied. February 5th, 2003. Colin Powell again. But what I want to bring to your attention today is the potentially much more sinister nexus between Iraq and the Al Qaeda terrorist network. A nexus that combines classic terrorist organizations and modern methods of murder. I'm not making that up. He said that. Sinister murder connection Al Qaeda, Iraq, Boo, let's attack the guys who attacked us on nine eleven was Al Qaeda, Al Qaeda, Iraq, Al Qaeda, Iraq. Oh what we we lied you into war? What do you mean we lied you into war? Oh the stuff about mass weapons of mass destruction and we just made that up? Oh hmm. who could have known? Oh links between Iraq and Al Qaeda. Pulled it out of our ass? Nah, who could have known? Criminal liars is what they all are. I got one more for you. Let's not forget this. October den tenth, two thousand two. Senator John McCain, huh, interesting, let's see what he had to say. Fa- quote, failure to end the danger posed by Saddam Hussein's Iraq makes it more likely that the interaction we believe to have occurred between members of al-Qaeda and Saddam's regime may increasingly take the form of active of cooperation to target the United States. John McCain is a goddamn liar. He had no such information, none whatsoever, made it out of made it up out of whole cloth and just threw it out there so he could get his way with his buddies Don Rumsfeld, Dick Cheney, and George Bush so they could get the war with Iraq. Liar! Absolute liar!
0: Just wanted to let you guys know that this is the last week To enter into the raffle to win the 8 gigabyte iPod video nano that we're giving away so if you wanted to get in on that you have until midnight on March 31st to send us your clips Um, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about we are giving away a free 8 gigabyte iPod video nano preloaded with every episode of Best of the Left Podcast, including the first 40 episodes that are no longer even available to download on the archives of our website. For more details, check out the Send Us Clips page on our website. And I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I'll catch you all on the flip side. Peace.
3: Bye-bye, it's now black and white Who took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that
1: you want to need A dying man in a living
0: room The no shadow bases the fall Who'll take you out
3: in